Uh, my name is Matt McCann, and I'm the guy who deflated the Patriots footballs. Um, I think everyone's ready. I see some, uh, see some Pats, some Pats jerseys on. No, my name's Matt McCann, and I am the uh, pastor in training here. I am the resident. Um, I am the resident church planter of this church, so it is a great joy for me to get up here from time to time and open the word with you and be able to uh, share in the word of God with you. This morning we have Stephen's story, but let's start like this. If, if you had to describe your life, if you looked at your life, what would it say? Or even better, if someone else was to describe your life, what are some of the things that they would say about your life? What are some of the things in your life that they would talk about? So if you're like me, you probably don't think about that a whole lot, but the way you describe yourself would probably be different than the way someone else would describe yourself, right? That's a fact. If you ask me to describe myself, I'm going to say, I'm generous, I'm down to earth, I'm a funny guy, and I'm ravishing. Among other, ad- among other admirable traits is what I'd say, but if you ask someone else to describe me, they'd probably say stuff like, he breathes really heavy when he eats. I'm just like, <sighs> Marquise comes here. If you ask him to do an impression of me eating, he does a great one, and it's, it's right on. I hold my breath in when I breathe, right? Sometimes I'm just sitting next to you, and I'll just, <sighs> drives my wife crazy. She always looks at me, what are you doing? Just breathe. If you ask Laura to describe me, another thing that she would say is, wicked OCD. Like, in, ex- in sometimes borderline extreme ways. If we're watching a Netflix TV series or a new season just came out on DVD and we're just punishing that thing, and I'm in control of the remote, when I go to click the next show, I click the next show every time without fail. When it starts playing, I have to pause it and I go, did I pick the right one? She goes, oh my goodness, Matthew, yes, you picked the right one. You saw that it was the next one in line, it's fine. And I'll just go i got to go back and check. And then I'll go back and I'm like, okay, I picked the right one. Every day, every night before I go to bed, I'm in the living room. I lock the living room door on the porch. I go to the basement door. I slide the lock closed. I go to the front door. I flip the lock closed. I walk up the stairs to go to bed. And when I get to the top of the stairs, I go, did I lock the living room door? And then I go back down the stairs every night and I check and I go, okay, I'm fine. These are not the things I want to be known for in my life, Right? I don't want my tombstone to read, here lies Matt McCann, heavy breather. You want want these things to be things that matter, right? You want your life to be described in a way that's godly. So by God's grace in the book of Acts, we have this great story, incredible story of a holy man named Stephen, and we're told the things that he's known for. What's nice about this story is we don't have to just look at his life and then say, What are some of the things that we see in his life? Luke literally pens down four things that describe the life of Stephen. And so what I want to do is go quickly through the story of Stephen and then zero in on these four descriptors that Luke pens down about him because these are the things that would have been written on Stephen's tombstone. And it will be helpful for us to look at them and say, my heart wants those too. So here's the story. This is what... Pastor Cruz read in the beginning. Stephen's in the streets. He's performing miracles. This is Acts chapter 6. 
Now, this, this power is not his own. When the Scripture's talking about he has this power, he's doing wonders and signs, they're ta- it's talking about literal, physical healing of needy people in the streets. Stephen's not doing this power on his own. God is working through him. And what God is doing is validating the message of Stephen that Jesus is the risen Lord. So what happens is some Greek Jews walk up to him. It says that they rose up and they wanted to dispute with Stephen. They come from Greek Jewish synagogues. Now, a synagogue is just simply a gathering place for Jews to meet. It's like a meeting place, not dissimilar to what we're doing here this morning. So these are Greek Jews. Stephen's a Greek Jew. They go up to him and they want to dispute with him. They want to talk with him. At this point in the story, it's not hostile. Those words are, they wanted a dispute. They wanted to have an argument. They wanted a friendly debate. So that's what's happening. But as the story gets going, what ends up happening is that it's all one, two punches, and they're only from Stephen. Stephen's just smashing these guys with his wisdom, his knowledge. He's got the spirit. He's got truth. They stand up to debate. Stephen sits them down. Stephen's driving a yellow bus, and these guys are going to school. So now things start to get hostile. They're like, this is not good. This is terrible. It says that they seize him. They seize Stephen. So when I hear that, I'm thinking cops, cuffs, and Stephen's in the back of a cruiser. He's going to see the judge. In this case, it's the Jerusalem council. It's the leaders. Friendly debate's over. They grab him. Can't beat him with the truth, so they're going to beat the man. They're going to start slandering, telling lies. So this is really, this is a scene that looks a lot like Jesus' crucifixion. What they end up doing is they grab false witnesses. They bribe people. They bribe men to come and say, hey, say some stuff about Stephen. Twist his truth. Twist the things that he's saying. And they say the big things like, Stephen hates God and hates Moses. All he does is speak against the sacred things that we love, like the law and the temple. So now there's truth, a little bit of truth in what they're saying. And because they say it this way, we can understand some of the things that Stephen was probably saying. He's saying things that most most Christians would be saying at the time. Stuff like, the law of Moses can't save you. The law of Moses shows you that you're a sinner. The The temple is now made way for a better Jesus. Jesus is the true temple of God where we can know God and worship God. They don't like that. So they're slandering Stephen when this friendly debate goes hostile. Now, the text ends up saying this interesting thing that says, and as they're gazing at him, they see that Stephen's face is like the face of an angel. I hope that stirs some mystery in your soul. I don't know exactly what that is. I've never seen that. I don't know what it looks like. Wives and and girlfriends in here, when, when your affectionate man says, She has the face of an angel. What's he mean? You're just the image of perfection and beauty, right? You're just radiant. He's exaggerating. You are beautiful, but he's exaggerating. I think what's going on here is even Stephen's enemies, when they look at his face, they can tell the favor of God is on this man. He is made, it's like he's made to stand in the presence of God and his face radiates the glory of God. So the main thing I take out of that is 
when you're of God and in Christ, people notice. So, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? The longest chapter in Acts happens next. Stephen literally just preaches a whole history of the nation of Israel. I'm not going to do that this morning. I just want to go all the way to the end to Stephen's application. And Stephen's application is this. Jesus. That's his application. He takes the whole history of God loving his people of Israel and he says, you stiff-necked people, you don't want God, so you resist his attempts at being your God. You betrayed and you murdered his plan for your life, which is Jesus. Stephen's saying this, God wants your tombstone at the end of your life to say, saved by Jesus. God wants your tombstone to say, loved Jesus. And you just don't want that. Stephen's crossed the line. So now everyone around them, they're just baring their teeth. They're showing his teeth. They're they're showing their teeth. Stephen's in this like state of euphoria. He can see Jesus. It says he can see the glory of God and Jesus standing there with him. This is an extreme case of ending grace, of dying grace. You can literally see Jesus. So now they're just enraged. He's talking about Jesus. He's saying he can see Jesus next to the glory of God. It's a wrap. They're done. They grab him. They throw him out of the city. Now this really starts to look like Jesus' death. They grab Stephen. They drag him out of the city. And these men who are going to start to throw rocks at him take off their coats. They don't want to get blood on them. They put him down at Saul's feet. Saul becomes Paul. He writes most of the New Testament. We'll get into that. Now, just like Jesus, as Stephen's getting stoned, he cries out, he cries out, Jesus, receive my spirit. Jesus on the cross cross cries out, Father, receive my spirit. And just like Jesus, Stephen has a dying prayer for those who are murdering him. Jesus had a prayer very similar. Stephen's murdered with rocks. That's the end of the story. They murder a man that had a face of an angel. So he's the first Christian to die for, for his faith, for Christ. He's the first Christian martyr. Now his death is violent, but scripture, the scripture says he fell asleep like he's at peace. Like he's totally sure. He has this violent death, but he goes to sleep. It's beautiful. Okay, that's Stephen's story. How would you describe Stephen? How would you describe Stephen? From his story, we could say a ton of things about his person, right? He's like wildly courageous, wildly, extremely brave. That boy could preach. He did the whole Old Testament and he saw Jesus in it. This boy was a preacher, right? He was a Greek. Maybe he made some mean pita pockets. Maybe he was feeding the hungry, hungry widows, right? But this is what, this is what Luke says about this man. He says that he's full of faith in the Holy Spirit. He's full of grace and power. So what I want to do, or what I'm not going to do, is lay out four magic principles for you to grab, work really hard at, divvy them up in a mathematical formula, And when you take these and apply them really hard, you too will have the face of an angel at the end of the day. That's not what what this is. That's not what I'm going to do. 
what I want to do is with you as a Christian, as someone who is running for these things and trying for these things and praying for these things in my own life, to look at these with you and say to God, God, make these things true about my life. So let's do that. All right. What does Luke mean by full? Full of. Full here is a word that means thoroughly accomplished. It means it's in something's in great abundance or dominated. Something is just absolutely dominating. It's so full it's being dominated. So when you see the word full here, think of your stomach after Chipotle. If you have the guts to eat an entire Chipotle burrito with the chicken and, the, and all the sauces and the, what's the, the white stuff? I can't think of it. Sour cream. You know that after that thing, you just can't get any more food in there. Dominated by Chipotle. That thing is done. That's the word full here. Nothing else can get mixed in. Nothing else is getting mixed into this. So what we're going to do is full of faith and grace together. The reason I'm going to chop them up and do full of grace together and then full of the Holy Spirit and power is because they're so closely related. So you could say that Stephen had great, incredible faith in God. So God just poured out riches of grace on his life. You could say that Stephen was so full of the Holy Spirit that he had this wild, intense power. Or you could say Stephen had such a vision for the grace of God in his life it turned around into faith for God, where Stephen was a powerful man, and he's powerful because the Spirit was working in his life. So these things work together. So let's do faith and grace. Faith in what? What was Stephen trusting in? Obviously, the, the church Bible answers Jesus, and it's true. Um, Stephen, Stephen did have faith in the atoning work of Jesus to wipe away his sins. He believed in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Now we know that because of what he's doing. He's out in the streets and he's preaching Jesus. But what I want to do is pull out a couple of aspects of his faith that we see explicitly in the story, things that we see Stephen doing. So Stephen was so full of faith, and this is the first one, he trusted God for big things in his life. Stephen was trusting God for big, impossible things in his life. Now, he had things going on in his life that were impossible, right? We saw this. He's in the streets, literally, literally healing people. Healing people is not humanly possible. That's a God thing only. What I take from that is just a general principle that Stephen was believing in God for big, impossible things. His faith in God was for those things. So we want a God-centered faith, right? Like Stephen that says, my God's so big and so great and so awesome that he can and does supply every need that I have and can and does supply every need that you have. A God-centered faith will believe that God does what seems impossible. Stephen was like that. So we are to be believing in God for big, impossible things in our life, right? There are going to be things in our lives that are seemingly impossible. Now, I don't know what those things are in your life, 
what are those things in your life right now that seem impossible? The question is, and the faith hook in that is, are you going to humbly, honestly, and openly work those things out, those big things, the impossible things? Work those things out with God, with faith in God, trusting God to do what he does. The second thing on Stephen's faith here I see is Stephen trusted God and could see Jesus in the hardest times. In the hardest times. So who doesn't know that believing in Jesus is easy when you've got a job and your bills are paid and your family's got health care and your heat's on and you didn't lose power in the storm and you got vacation time left at work and your marriage is flourishing and your kids aren't getting in trouble and the Pats are in the Super Bowl. It's easy to trust God in those times, right? How about when the rocks are crashing off your head? So Stephen literally had rocks crashing off his head. Stephen was literally, literally in the hardest time possible. But how about for us when it feels like our world is ending? Can you see Jesus when it feels like your world is ending? For us, it usually won't be a literal world-ending thing. But what, what happens? Where's your faith? Where's your trust in God when it feels like, look at this is impossible. My world is ending. This is the hardest thing. Stephen's faith was a faith that just latched onto Christ, and he could literally see Jesus standing there in that hard time. We learn that kind of faith from Stephen. Now, let's move on to grace here. I see two things from the story. He's dominated by God's grace on him. He's full of God's grace on him. Now, I love the idea of Stephen being dominated by God's grace. A lot of times what can happen is we read these stories of, of holy men, holy people in the Bible, men and women in the Bible, and we like to think of it in terms of what they did, how they acted, how they believed, how they moved nations, how they affected people, We think about it in terms of them. But we miss that the holy saints of God are the holy saints of God purely by grace. It's just undeserved kindness and favor of God on the life of a saint. Stephen in this story is no less of a sinner or no more of a sinner than you and I. Stephen doesn't need the grace of God and Jesus to cover his sins any less than you and me need Jesus to cover our sins. So how does a sinner have a face that looks like an angel? Grace. That's grace. That was God's favor on him. Why does Stephen get a glimpse of Jesus as he's dying, in his dying worst moment, hardest time? Why does he get a glimpse of Jesus? Grace. Stephen has this unbelievable grace of God on his life. And it's like a circle. Stephen had this unwavering trust in God, so God poured out the grace. God was pouring out the grace on Stephen, and Stephen turned around and said, God, I trust you for all of that. It's a cycle. The other thing I see on this with, Stephen's, with Stephen being dominated by grace is he's dominated by grace for other people. Did you see Stephen's graciousness towards the, the, his enemies that are throwing rocks? 
How's he going to pray that God forgive them for their sin? How does, how does that happen? It's not like he got hit with one too many rocks and then he was, he was trying to curse them, but it just came out as a blessing. He wanted to do this. He was full of grace towards other people. If you're thinking that seems impossible, it is. Right? Faith like Stephen's, grace, grace on Stephen's life like this is not possible. It's completely unnatural. Now, Stephen was only full of this kind of stuff because he had the spirit and he had the power. So let's do spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. This is the third person of God. The Holy Spirit is leading Stephen. You don't have faith in saving grace without the Spirit of God present. The active, the active moving of the Spirit of God is always involved in faith and grace. So Stephen trusts God for huge, impossible things. That's the Spirit. Stephen can see Jesus in the worst times. That's the Spirit. Stephen can pray for his enemies as they're killing him. That's the Spirit of God. So for Stephen, this would have started when he heard the gospel message. The Spirit quickened his dead heart to life. He repented and he believed. He had the Spirit. Now, it says that Stephen was dominated by the Spirit. Stephen's full of the Holy Spirit. So I want to flush out a little bit what that means. It just means he was under the direction and guidance of God. Stephen was obedient to God. It says in the, in the text that Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So what do I take from that? Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, can see the glory of God in Jesus. The Holy Spirit, being full of the Holy Spirit, is being able to see that God is glorious in the face of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God in you is what drives you to say, Jesus Christ is glorious on the cross, dying for my sins and coming back to life. The Spirit of God does that work. So is it this strange ritual of saying, you know, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? Where are you? Where are you in my life? It's not. Whatever ordinary or unordinary thing that you're doing as a Christian, if you're doing it in faith in Christ and under the grace of God, that's being full of the Spirit. That's being led by the Spirit. So was Stephen perfect? No. Did Stephen still sin? Yeah, absolutely. You think at times he needed correction and rebuke? Yeah, absolutely. But his life would have been marked by this general pattern of obedience to God. The Spirit would have been working in Stephen to be driving Stephen to a love for God and obedience for God. So we can see the Spirit in a bunch of ways in the story, right? Stephen is being driven to bold proclamation of the word of Christ, right? Bold proclamation, courageous in that. Why didn't Stephen run from rocks? The Spirit. He says, if God wants me to die by rocking, I'm going to die by rocking. And so Stephen is obedient to God. And the last thing it says is Stephen was full of power. When it says that he's full of power, we're talking supernatural power that he did not have. 
This is a power that comes from the Spirit that is supplied by God. So Stephen was able to heal people because God, in this, by the Spirit, was in his life, giving him an empowerment for the ministry that God had called him to fulfill. I don't think that power is any is miracles, physical miracles per se, or that it's any one thing per se. It is the Spirit of God empowering your life for the ministry that he calls you to do, whatever that is. So this was true for Stephen, and we want that to be true of our own life, right? We want to say, God, by your Spirit, empower me in ways that I don't have. Do things through me that I don't have and can't do. So Stephen's tombstone would have had four beautiful things on it. It would have said, Stephen, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace, full of power. My prayer for you individually, my prayer for us corporately as a church, is that these things would mark our own life. So now I just want to close with this. I want to close with be encouraged. Be encouraged. Um, if you've been listening to this life of Stephen, and you hear this life of Stephen, and you're like, that is impossible. And you hear this full of faith, full of grace, full of the Holy Spirit, full of power. And you're looking at your own life, and you're turning on the inside, and you're going, I'm not like Stephen with that kind of faith in God, trusting him in the hardest times. I don't have that kind of grace for other people in my life like Stephen had. And if you're like, I don't even know what the Holy Spirit leading my life looks like. I don't even know if I understand that. Or I certainly don't look at my life and see any extraordinary power. What I want to say to you is encourage you. Stephen would not have described himself this way. If you ask Stephen, Stephen, describe your life, he's not going to say, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace, full of power. Stephen wouldn't have described himself this way. He probably would have just given you a million examples of a lack of faith and a lack of times that he had graciousness towards others. At times he would have said, I just don't know that the Spirit is working through my life, and he probably would have felt weak and powerless. Stephen would have described himself differently. We're not called to read these kinds of stories in Scripture about our fathers and our mothers and see these holy people of God and go, I'm never going to get there. It's not happening. You're not called to be perfect in faith. You're not called to be perfect in graciousness towards others. You don't have to know every single way that the Spirit of God who is in you as a Christian is working in your life. And you don't have to know all the ways that you're empowered and gifted for ministry. You're not called to make these things happen on your own. The encouragement in here for in this for me is that God does these things. God does these things. If you are getting to know Jesus, you're just getting to know him. Whether you're just starting to know him or you're running after him for a long time. And your heartbeat is, I want Jesus in my life. Be encouraged that God is going to work these things out in your life. Full of faith, full of grace, 
full of the Holy Spirit and full of power, will be able to be said of you at the end of your life. If you're running after Jesus, God is going to accomplish these things in your life. At the end, God will make sure of it that our tombstone will be able to say these things. I'm greatly encouraged by that. I hope you feel that same thing this morning. Let me pray for you. Father, our honest prayer to you this morning is we want to see your marks on our life that can be said to be full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, so dominated and full of grace and full of power. We want those things in our life, and we're saying to you this morning, we need you to do it. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would move on us to drive us towards these things, that we wouldn't be discouraged when we look to the inside and we see a lack of these things. Rather, we would be encouraged that you are a good and gracious Father who loves us and that you're going to get us to where you want us to be. God, I pray that for this church. Let it be said of Seven Mile Road that that church was full of faith in the Holy Spirit, full of grace and power. Amen.